This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington in my very white voice. Sitting across from me is Evan Grant. I was thinking more froggy from the Little Rascals. <laughs> there is no froggy in the Little Rascals. Yes, there is. No, you made that up. No, there was. There was Froggy and the Little Rascals. He was a guy with the little spectacled glasses, just like you, and he talked like that. <laughs> the guy with the little spectacled glasses was, uh, what was his name? He had the cowlick standing up, and he loved Darla. Here's Froggy. William Robert Lawlin. Really? Ooh, he only lived till 16. See, you know, you're making fun of a guy who who didn't make it out of his teens. That's really terrible of you to he, do that. Uh, he was uh, killed in 1948 after a speeding truck on which he was delivering newspapers uh, near his home crashed. Okay. Man, that's tough. So anyway, uh, Evan, on that, note, on that happy note, uh, we'll move on to our... This uh, is why you never Google on Wikipedia. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Rangers. Okay. Yes, Froggy. Uh, so the, the Rangers have now have a, a manager. Right. Uh, he doesn't. He is. They have fired Doug Brocale, the pitching coach. Yeah, they did. Uh, well, and that, I think that that had been assumed now for for a couple of weeks. Um, that I don't think. I think in our business, do we work on assumptions? No, but I, the idea that. They were sitting there in November and that they hadn't committed to Brocale right away. Uh, I think that pretty much told you that. Well, they hadn't committed to Don Wakamatsu or Jace Tingler. They hadn't or, made any official announcement, no. But, or uh, Mr. Beasley. But they either. made it clear that they wanted Wakamatsu and Tingler on the staff. Yeah. yeah. And Tony Beasley. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they're in the market for both a pitching coach and a hitting coach. Yeah. You got any links? And I, I think that. I don't think that a lot of our listeners here would disagree with uh, with that approach. You mean letting those both of the all three of those guys go? Actually, well, they let Mayshore go. Um, I oppose they had a job offer from the Cubs, uh, but I'm betting they would have let him go too. I think they would. I think they liked Iaposa. Really? Yeah. Um, I again, I don't. I, I think a lot of this would have had you know Woodward's impact would have been. Or, or his insight would have been listened to. Chris Woodward, you mean uh, the manager, the new manager. What did I say? Well, you said Woodward. You just you didn't say his first name. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but I, I, on the pitching coach thing, you know, Doug Brokale was brought in here three years ago, uh, in part to get a little bit tough, I think, with the Derek Hollins and the Martin Perez's and get more out of them. No more massaging of the shoulders. 
was brought in to implement Jeff Bannister's idea of pitching inside to quote unquote buy real estate away, which I don't think ever really worked for this club. There wasn't enough command. I'll tell you what worked is they ended up what, leading baseball and hit by pitches. Uh, they, I actually, they, they did for a long period of time this year, but ended up not for the, for the full season. They were on a record pace for a long time. Um, and so what you saw was, I mean, actually the pitching staff regressed in each of the last three years. Uh, they had the third worst, uh, overall ERA this year at 4.92 ahead of two clubs that both lost over a hundred games. Uh, and over the three years that Brokeo was the pitching coach, the, they had the fifth worst ERA in baseball. So um, that that wasn't acceptable. Um, it's certainly not all Doug Brokeo's fault. No, um, it is not. He wasn't given a whole lot of young talent to work with. Nope. Um, or talent to begin at all. Well, you know, he had Darvish and he had Cole Hamels for the first two seasons. Yeah. Um, but certainly in 2018, the Rangers didn't, you know, they they took a couple of flyers, and that was about it. Uh, and Martin Perez went backwards, and uh, they've now decided to move on from both Derek Holland and Martin Perez, two homegrown starters over the last three years, and uh, that's never good to have on anybody's resume. Do you uh, are you sure now that they're not going to bring back Martin Perez? I think until he signs somewhere else, the door remains the door remains open. But they've decided they're more than willing to let that let that go. Um, they're not going to be aggressive in trying to re-sign him. Let's put it that way. If he doesn't have a home, then they have a pitching coach who says, "You know what? I can do something. I think I can do something with him." Then they might be willing to bring him back. I personally think that for where this team is uh, and for uh, what they should be looking for on the market. Martin Perez checks off a whole lot of um, boxes. But I understand also there's frustration with the fact that his stuff isn't it certainly isn't as dominating as it once was. Uh, they need to get some more strikeouts. He's not a strikeout pitcher. Uh, and, you know, you have this, whether it's, whether it's anecdotal, narrative, whatever the word you want to use, uh, there's a lot of I... Uh, optics that suggest this is a guy who does seem to let big situations get to him. And that can be frustrating uh, for him, for the team, for the fans. And it might be the kind of case where he just needs to go somewhere else and get a, a, a completely clean slate. Yeah. I, get- I think you and I are both in agreement though. A 28 year old left-hander. Um, it's not expensive. Right. That's the kind of thing this team, if they're taking chances, that's the kind of thing that they need to take chances on. And if you bring him back at a $5 million base, okay, so you're saving a million and a half dollars in salary. Um, but you've also, you know, you there's been some bad blood built up over the fact that, well, now you're just trying to get me on the cheap. Yeah, I think that's all true. Uh, I think, to me, the problem I have with all this is, is if you were bringing back Jeff Bannister – and Doug Brokale, then I understand why you, you know, I, well, I still would disagree with it, but at least I would understand better that why you'd be getting rid of Martin Perez. To me, you are, you fire Jeff Bannister and Doug Brokale because of people like Martin Perez. And, and what you're saying is, is that why don't we go ahead and just take a chance on him? What are we losing on this, in this season in 2019? What are we losing in 2020? Let's just go ahead and take a flyer on, on Martin, see if we can re- rehabilitate him with a new manager. 
with a new pitching coach and see where it goes. Uh, I, I just think that these kind of decisions uh, aren't good ones. You know, I, I think that we've seen enough of Martin to know that there's something there, and I will guarantee you he will get a deal with somebody else. I am not going to guarantee he's going to be in somebody's rotation, but he'll be on somebody's staff on opening day. Uh, he'll be on somebody's staff. Um, question is, will he? You know, will he get a, a, a starter's job? Right. Uh, I would assume he'll get a major league deal. Again, he's a 28 year old lefty, and if you start looking at the guys on this free agent market, you know the guys who are there. There's a couple of elite guys, but then pretty quickly it it drops down to 30 to 32 year olds. Um, and you start getting there and you're talking about long-term contracts for those guys, you're paying for a whole lot of declining performance. Yeah. With a guy like Martin Perez, you can still make a case that there's upside to be had. Yeah, I think there, that's that's very much so the case with me. So uh, I wanted to get back to the, the, you know, the thing about pitching inside, too. You know, from the very beginning, I didn't like that. Uh, idea. I know that that's that's what you have to do as a pitcher. I think that's something that you that you have to be doing when you're 16 and 17 and 18, not when you're you're 26, 27, 28. Now we're going to have you start to do this. Uh, I think it's 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 either in your nature to pitch that way or it's not. Uh, you, you've got you've got you know you can, pitching inside's effective if you can command the fastball right. and and the Rangers. Didn't really command the fastball very well. I think it made some of their pitchers uncomfortable. And and from my perspective, in looking at the po- at the postseason and the playoffs, what I thought the postseason teams did exceptionally well, and I know Doug Brokill talked about this some because he would talk about the up and down games. Right. But I don't think this team went up in the strike zone very effectively at all. Uh, I don't think it understood how to use uh, the different planes of the strike zone. And I thought that the, particularly in, in late-inning situations, uh, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Astros, all three of those teams, I thought, used the upper part of the strike zone very effectively. Yeah, there are certainly different ways to do these things. And we can always talk about how, well, you know, this guy preached this uh, too, and then uh, why didn't it work with, with him when he was saying that? Well, it's always the way – it's always in the approach. You know, uh, how much did you really tell him to do that? Was it a bedrock thing or was it something that you just kind of mentioned on a Thursday? You know, so – Listen, I, I think coaching in baseball, people want to talk about guys having fixes and all this stuff, and there's, there's, there's reasons for having data and there's reasons for video and all of that. But everybody's got access to the video. Everybody's got access to the data. Where one guy separates himself from another, as a coach or a manager, comes back to the things we talked about a month ago, and that is communication and how you get that guy to believe in himself, his ability, and to stay and to stay calm in the moment. Chris Woodward and I talked a little bit at the at the GM meetings when he was out there about the idea of conviction and getting his pitchers to throw the ball with conviction. And, you know, along the way in your career, every once in a while, somebody says something that sticks with you time after time after time. John Wetland in 1998 said to me, you know, I'd much rather throw my best pitch with with I'd I'd much rather throw my third best pitch with 100 percent conviction than my best pitch with 60 percent conviction. Mm -hmm. Believe in yourself. And, And it still comes down to to the coach making sure that the player does that inside. That's the number one. That's the bedrock of whatever your approach is going to be with a pitcher. 
Yeah, that goes back to when we're talking about believing in a pitcher too. Uh, when uh, you can't fake that. No, and and uh, and then the Rangers sent that message to Martin Perez when they didn't start him on opening day in what what was that two thousand and sixteen. Uh, they started yeah. Tanner Shepherds. Yeah, you know, I, I I thought that was a terrible move then. Not sixteen. It was fifteen. Fifteen. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a terrible move then. Uh, I thought it sent him a terrible message, uh, and then it ended up uh, screwing. With Actually, Tanner Shepherds was fourteen. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, I knew it was a while ago. Yeah. So you know that that's the. Uh, I'm not going to defend you know Martin too much. There is a lot of frustration watching him pitch, you know, because of the things we just cited uh, and, and all of that. But uh, you know, um, I, I just don't get. I can't get past the fact that this is a team in that's in desperate need of pitching and they're going to say to one of their own, they're, they're willing to say to one of their own that nah, forget it. And, and to me, if there'll be an indictment of this administration, once again, it will be that if Martin goes somewhere and does well, they'll say, look, they can't recognize talent under their own noses, you know? So, uh, I think, you know, to me, I just stuck with him and I moved on and I tried to find some pitches someplace else. Speaking of which, uh, you wrote a story talking about minor league free agent pitching. Actually, that was Jerry. Jerry wrote that. Was that Jerry wrote yeah. that? Okay. And uh, and talking about guys they might be available to them. Last year, there was, a, was it last year or year before last when Pudge's – was it last year, wasn't it, when Pudge's son uh-huh. uh, came up and uh, and the Rangers <laughs> said basically – They passed on him. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It turned out pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the Giants really did a good job identifying. And I, I talked to John Daniels. When the Rangers faced him, I talked to John Daniels a little bit about that. And and he said, you know, I don't want to put too much into the idea of this is Pudge's son because I think the, the wrong way to go about things is to say, okay, we're going to sign this guy because he's, you know, the son of a legend. There's right. too much nepotism involved in that. You don't want to make evaluations based on family bloodlines. Nope. But they missed, and, and he acknowledged that they missed. And it's one of the – the areas that they they need to get better in, and that is one of the areas where I think analytics um, and, and research and development uh, of uh, of software and of, of evaluation programs can come in to help. Because a lot of these six year free agents are, you know, you are rolling the dice on them, and you've got to find something that indicates, okay, this is a guy who's on the uptick, or he's primed for an uptick, or there is something here we can identify that if we change the, uh, you know, that the Astros go back to is how they change Charlie Morton's um, approach to pitching a little bit because of the spin rate. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you about because this is the thing, and and, and you know, uh, you've written this and I've written this too. Um, to me, yes, it's important to get the right manager. There's no question about that. But I think there's there's potential to get that just about anywhere. Um, I think that uh, what was Far more interesting to me is this whole idea of we're going to overhaul the organization a little bit here, and uh, and and one of those moves was Shiraz Raymond uh, as assistant GM, who's basically in charge of R and D. But he's not. He's not. No, I mean R and D is going to fall under the under the oversight of, of Josh Boyd, um, but Shiraz comes with a background of R and D. Yes. Okay. So so my point and he is, does he, he does strengthen their their core there. Yeah. And they need to have their core strengthened. We all do. Yeah. So, uh, to me, what I want to see from this is that uh, it's my understanding that they they are even able to apply this, as you said, in, in acquisition. 
uh, to, to look at things and look at people, and I'm assuming even in the draft. And I, I, what I want to know is oh, for sure. how in R&D, how that manifests itself. What exactly are they going to be able to do there that's going to allow them to uh, do a better job of drafting and signing? I just think I, I think where you get to here is so many of these R&D programs um, are all the same information-wise, uh, but you're talking about different levels. And clubs, you know, initially clubs applied this to their major league level, and then they went a little bit lower to their to their upper level farm systems and so forth and so on. And and clubs that have have made some real inroads were much, much more under the radar than, than other clubs, applying that to the way they went about research, uh, uh, to the draft. Um, I don't know how you do it with the Latin American signings because you don't have as much data available to you. Right. But, but they've certainly applied that on the draft, and I think this is an area where the Rangers, we've talked about this until we're blue in the face. They know they need to do a better job on pitching. I think we saw both they and the Cubs this year uh, in the draft went very heavily on high school pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now this was a thought of th- – this was more of a business proposition where I think they felt like high school pitchers are being undervalued now by other clubs because they're all gearing their, their draft towards, I guess, the more um, more defined numbers associated with college pitchers. And the high school pitchers, there may be some more risk involved, but you can get much more upside – uh, at, at a lower value. The Cubs went heavily on that. The Rangers went heavily on that. We'll see if it pays off. I mean, they drafted uh, their three of their first four picks were high school pitchers. I think they drafted seven pitchers in the first ten rounds, um, and all but one of them was a high school pitcher. They, they, they went real deeply into high school pitching, and there was something that told them research-wise, whether it's the right or the wrong approach, I don't know, Yeah, and we won't know that for several years, but there was something research-wise that told them and the Cubs this is a route to pursue, and they 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 acknowledge that. Yeah, uh, because uh, and, 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 and just to, to, to your point, I mean, I would like to know like the research and development elements too. Clubs are. I, I, there was a situation in um, in March at spring training. Um, Billy Epler, the Angels general manager, was asked about his research and development and. Obviously, there's a lot of sensitivity in the industry, particularly related to the Astros Cardinals espionage case. But um, Billy was asked something about the the Angel system, and he acknowledged that they had a system, uh, a database. But he wouldn't even uh, uh, tell the reporter what the name, the internal name of the database was. <laughs> so they guard this stuff with their lives, and getting the Rangers to discuss this getting a club to discuss like what goes into how they determine um what they're using good luck with that yeah i mean you only determine that kind of after the fact and that's i think that's why now we're seeing you know the results of teams that that were applying analytics and information to the draft three and four years ago why we're now seeing that uh kind of play out in the big leagues yeah, well, that'll be interesting to see how that works because, listen, anything's going to be better than what they've been doing. Oh, that's true. And, you know, while you were prattling on um, – Yeah, I was doing a lot of prattling. Yeah, there was a lot of prattling. I like, it when, I like it when you tell me what I was going to say or what I was going to think. 
Um, well, somebody needs to think for you. Yeah. Uh, I was um, going down the rabbit hole of the Little Rascals gang. <laughs> Um, all of all of whom pretty much died at very it's early terrible, ages. terrible. Um, including Spanky, who I did not know was a Dallas native. Yeah, I think I did know that. And he, yeah. he, he, but he did not die young. He lived he, he lived till sixty four. And yeah, I hope I lived that. Long. <laughs> I'm I'm knocking on that door here, pal. Uh, but yeah, he. Uh, this was ninety three, so it was a couple years before I got to Dallas. You obviously had been here for forty or fifty years. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was uh, he was born in Dallas. He was still living in Dallas in the '90s when he uh, he was in Keller, and he uh, he collapsed at his home and uh, apparently died of a heart attack in 1993 at the at Baylor at Grapevine. Wow, old Spanky, old Spanky. Yeah, I I, I just never knew that Spanky was a was a Dallasite. You, you know, we've got a lot of famous people from here. We do. Him and Meatloaf. Meatloaf was a Thomas Jefferson graduate. Yes, he did. And I lived in the Thomas yeah. Jefferson district for a while. Now I live in the Pinkston district. There's a little sign over there that says that, isn't there? Home of Meatloaf. <laughs> Think in the cafeteria. It says. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, yeah I, right. Uh, now the new house is right over there by the Rangers Academy. I'm going to be over you, there working with their young you, kids. You worked, in the, you worked in the new house. I like that. Yeah, well, it's been quite the uh, adventure. Quite the adventure, as yeah. your wife knows. Yeah, and you're, and uh, and as uh, as our producer, Brian, uh, pointed out, he wanted to know. So it wasn't one of them ones that fell down, was it? No, it was the neighborhood next door. <laughs> <laughs> so so clearly you bought in the right neighborhood. Well, yes, it's much much better construction. <laughs> was it with when, after that happened? All those people over there just come running over to your townhouses to buy them. Well, you know that that townhouse is um, that townhouse project is still like under construction, and when it was knocked down by a pretty strong microburst, it was still just a. It wasn't like, I mean, and this is a tragedy, obviously, because a man died in a construction accident. But it was it was a wood framed house, and. Um, Tragedy obviously has become the the topic of our of the day here. Yeah, but, you started that, but yeah, it um, the, the, I, that was the first thing that I was like, what happened and where? And uh, a little bit scary. We drove by there, um, and I mean, it was just basically splinters at that point. Uh, time. It was unbelievable, terrible, terrible, terrible. But uh, it it's been cool. We uh, the first two nights we went out. Got me some dinner from Chicken Scratch down there at uh, Chicken Scratch, yeah, uh, at the Been Foundry, there. and then uh, picked up some dinner last night because God only knows where all our utensils are. <laughs> um, uh, we still haven't unpacked all that, but uh, got some dinner from Rocco's last night at uh, St. Rocco's. So uh, we're living the we're living the life. Man. I, I, I love the sign at St. Rocco's. Yeah, I do love the sign. Yeah, I think I might love the sign better than I love the food, but it's you know it's it's good. The, the, I, I had a I had some rigatoni last night. Gina had some chicken francais. It was really good. Wow, you're so cosmopolitan now. We are, man. We are. We are living the life. So there is no reason for you to be late to the podcast as you usually are. Well, I was here about nine twenty, well before you, for our production meeting. <laughs> production meeting, which was you belly aching to Brian about all the editors here and what a terrible job they do. That's right. That's what I do. <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> None of the editors will be listening. To no. <laughs> what are the chances? Who? 
What are the chances an editor actually listens to this? That's like saying that an editor would actually read something that we wrote. I will actually say this. I what? will say this because I know one of our editors does listen, and Mark Kaslowski does an outstanding. He job. He does. He does. So, I was talking. I'm talking about the bosses, not not the guys who oh, who, I, who actually clean up your mess. I wasn't talking about anybody at all. <laughs> the guys who actually clean up your mess night after night. And let me tell you something, pal. That's a job. <laughs> it is. Believe me. Um, and it's it's much like when I was walking the dogs this morning. It's oh, like cleaning no. up their mess. You know, it's, a, it's it always takes me back to uh, Steve Richardson, Tiger, uh, who worked here, and then God bless him, he was he was the greatest uh, college basketball writer, college football writer too, but mostly college basketball. Retired at like forty five, you know, because because uh, he just he didn't get married and have any kids, so he just had lots of money. And uh, and Tiger's attitude about the editors every night was is that it's their job to catch all this stuff, you know. He just he just it was just like throwing it at a fan with Tiger, you know. He, he was expecting them to catch all the mistakes that he was going to make. I'm not going to take the uh, Stephen Miller approach that uh, hey, the janitors have a job to do. Yeah, so. that's um, right. But yeah, God God love them because I, the typos that come flying off my fingers. Oh are, man. I tell you, are unbelievable. Boy, it's just no telling what happens. I mean, I on Twitter where there are no editors, I am the one who did tweet that you Darvish is through t h r t h r o u g h fifteen bitches off the mound. <laughs> well, you're also the one that, that came up with the uh, the bull penis, aren't you? I did come up with the bullpen is yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The bullpen is. Oh, man, alive. I tell you what, you're one fun guy to follow. I, I'm something. I am some kind of blank show. All um, right. Well, let's, let's, uh, I'm going to herd this back to the, our, our Rangers. Okay. So uh, you want to, let's talk about, uh, what do you want to talk about, Rangers wise? You want to talk about some pitching coach candidates? Yeah. That'd be good. Well, I, I think that on both the pitching and hitting coaches, I think the same strategy that the Rangers have applied. Uh, all off season is going to be in place here, and that is tap into the model franchises and get as much information as you can from those places. Uh, if you're so, they're getting for, Sandy Koufax as the pitching coach. I'd take Sandy Koufax as the pitcher right now. Yeah, no guys. kidding. Um, I, I think that, uh, but I do think the Dodgers are a good place to look. You know, Chris Woodward came from the Dodgers. Um, Mark Pryor is the bullpen coach there. Rangers have a little bit of experience with him as he tried to make a comeback with them. Um, this is a guy who has, you know, was a phenom. Uh, I'll say. Had to work really hard to try and make it back to the big leagues. Had to retire at an early age. He's gone through, you know, a lot of the things and experiences that a lot of players have to deal with. Um, that's something that I look for. Uh, is there anybody in the system they might consider? In the Dodger system? No, no, in their system. No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I, I think that uh, – they like some of the guys that they have on the minor league side in the positions that they're they're at right now, but I don't think the Rangers feel like there's there's a strong candidate here. Um, I am hearing that the I've heard from a couple of different places and, and a couple of different teams. And I haven't been able to identify this um, that there are there are a couple of actually college coaches um, who would be candidates to be a big league college pitching, coach. pitching coaches or college coaches. I have not gotten a whole lot narrowed down. I, I, my first thought was that it would be somebody from the Vandy program, but 
I don't think that's the case. Yeah, they're supplying a lot of pitchers and, um, for the draft. I, I, I wondered about Kirk Sarloos from TCU, former big league pitcher, but I don't think that's the case. But I, I do think that that's one place the Rangers may also look, you know, because they tapped into Matt Blood, who was in charge of the the uh, AA, the uh, team eight. Team USA 18 and under team. Wasn't he a private eye in one of those old film noir movies? Uh, no, Kevin. He was not. Matt Blood? No. I mean, come on. Um, That's an all-time name. And so, I mean, I think they're trying to tap into some of that that amateur background. But I, I, I think the Dodgers and Pryor is a good place to look. I think you look at the Indian system. Um, they've done a great job developing pitching. Uh, they have Steve Carsey there at Triple A. Again, a guy who did pitch for the Rangers for years, so there's a little bit of background there for John Daniels. Um, he was there the first year that Daniels was uh, assistant GM. Uh, I look at the Red Sox, and I look at, at Brian Bannister and former Ranger Dave Bush, both guys who have worked heavily on the analytics side. Um, who is the best pitching coach in the big leagues today? We used to know that kind of thing, and I just don't know it anymore. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, it, it all goes on reputation. At this point in time, I mean, Maddox has as good a reputation as anybody. Um, I really, I'm really fond of Dana Levangie, uh, the Boston Red Sox pitching coach. Uh, knew him a little bit as a scout. I just know him as a really diligent worker who maintains a very even keel. Um, and this is a guy who didn't pitch in the big leagues. You know this. So it's not necessarily a prerequisite. Um, you know, Jim Hickey has always had a very good reputation. Uh, those are the guys that just without really thumbing. Rick Honeycutt yeah. is, is kind of, I think he's close to retirement with the Dodgers, and that might be one reason that Pryor ends up staying in Los Angeles if the Rangers approach him. But uh, Another former Ranger. But Honeycutt is another guy who's, you know, got a very strong reputation with with his guys. Um, and, and the guy that the Giants moved out of the pitching coach's role a year or two ago, Dave Rigetti, I think, is also yeah. um, really good. So I, I, I do think that, you know, we're in this – we keep going back to this transitional era in baseball right now where I think that – the game's always evolving and things are always changing, but I think right now the changes are a little bit speeded up and more dramatic. And so you're looking for these guys that have already started to make the transition to both, well, multiple levels, communicator, mechanic, and a guy who understands data and, and advanced analytics. And I think we're starting to see a generation of those guys kind of come up through minor league systems. And I think that's part of re the reason why maybe the Rangers – wouldn't have a strong in-house candidate right now is because I think they acknowledge they, they lack on that level. Yeah, I would say. Uh, all right. Before the, uh, the other teams, Cleveland. I, I mentioned Cleveland, Dodgers. I think I mentioned Boston. I also think you have to look at Tampa Bay. Yeah. Uh, they've got a minor league pitching coach in Dewey Robinson who is um, also very well re regarded. So uh, I, I think they've there, there's a good group out there. There's also going to be some competition for, for pitching coaches. And on hitting, I think you look at a lot of the same organizations. Yeah. You know, I mean, Boston's Boston's Andy Barkett has decided that he's going to stay there as their assistant hitting coach. But I think their minor league coordinator, uh, Greg Norton, is very highly regarded. Um, the Dodgers have two hitting coaches, uh, assistant hitting coaches, um, both of whom have Rangers backgrounds uh, in um, Luis Ortiz 
and uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, uh, Brant Brown. So and Chili Davis is out there. Chili Davis is out there. I always like Chili Davis. That's really you, good. Would you? How would you feel if Chili Davis was fired by the Cubs? who then hired the Rangers hitting coach, and then the Rangers hired the Cubs fired hitting coach. That kind of stuff's happened before. Yes, it has. Um, and, you know, uh, the reason that uh, Chili said that uh, when, after he was fired was that, well, I, I need to be communicating better with these uh, millennials, which was he shouldn't have said that uh, out loud anyway. Yeah. Uh, it, won't, it won't help him any. But I thought he always did a great job. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he did a great – in Oakland especially – where, you know, they were just treading, you know, journeymen through there, and he was getting something out of them. You know, they they had a, they had a good approach at the plate, and uh, they did a lot of good things. I, I, I just really like that. I just don't know if that – I just don't think it will fit here uh, with the Rangers. I don't know what they're trying to do, I don't think. Uh, and if they're, if they're taking guys from the Cubs uh, for other reasons, I don't think they're going to take Chili Davis, who got fired. Correct, Froggy. Yeah. Uh, all right, one last thing. Uh, I read something somewhere, and, and you know, in my uh, newly demented state, uh, I can't uh, remember where I read it. What's but, What's new about it? Was that? Uh, oh, thanks. Uh, was that um, uh, John Daniels had talked to Cole Hamels since his since he went to the Cubs about, hey, well, how come you were so good for the Cubs and so and you just stunk it up for us? Uh, and that's interesting to me that uh, they that he actually had that conversation with him about that. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't know he had spoken with Cole. I know he, I know that the Cole Hamels, the Cole Hamels turnaround did frustrate him or or raise some curiosity on his part. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's interesting. I, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, frankly, John Daniels needs to be doing. Uh, is uh, you know, in this in our business and in any business, really, you can't be trusting anybody. You have to be checking things out. And just because somebody tells you, oh, well, we tried that or we did this or we did that, uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go to that person and, and ask them point blank, hey, what was it that worked well for you? Uh, what was different here? Uh, that's that's what I'd want to know. You know, whether whether John Daniels had, had made changes in his organization or not, to right. me, that that's a good thing to do, you know. Uh, you're not just going to just take the word of your of your people and say that okay you, you did everything you could and it just worked out better for him there just change of scenery different league blah 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 right, right. Uh, and I and I you know I think we did see that uh, that Cole kind of regressed a little bit there at the very end he had a great start much like he did when he came here from the Phillies uh, and then he kind of kind of slowed down a little bit there at the end well I there just I, I there have been chapter and verse of examples of players I've, I've I've been told about that you know have gone not necessarily directly from the Rangers but at one point in time where with the Rangers they get somewhere else um and whether they're coming from the Rangers or from another club at that point in time they get to a new club and they're presented with a binder of like okay here's everything we know about you yeah um and it's <laughs> it's a whole new look at this player from a different perspective uh, that does resonate with them. And, you know, I mean, Derek Holland last year went to Chicago and kind of stunk it up there. Yeah. Went to San Francisco this year. Um, and I think Derek made some some real, realizations about his career and where he was. I think he was willing to try some more things. And, and again, the stuff that he did with San Francisco I don't think was terribly different than what the Rangers tried to get him to do. But he just was at a point, you know, that part of that, part of this too is you're still dealing with humans. And right. 
you know, if you fed the information into a machine and said, okay, this is the information, the machine would process it that way and spit it back out. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with humans, sometimes it doesn't go through the brain the way you'd like it to, and it doesn't process until the human is ready to process. And Derek is also a free agent, is he not? He is, and I, I'd, I'd be willing, again, you know, for me, I'm looking at guys on one- or two-year deals. Um, I, I think that uh, – I don't think Derek uh, uh, had a great experience with Jeff Bannister. No, he did um, not. I, I, I think he, he still maintains a home here. I think he'd love to be here. Um, and on a one- or two-year deal, again, with the idea that maybe he gets flipped at the trade deadline, um, I'd be willing to take a chance on him. I'm going to take a chance on him and Perez. Why not? Well, the only question now is you got him and you got per- if if you do that you got him and you got Perez, you've got Drew Smiley, yeah, um, and you've got Mike Miner. Is Drew Smiley ready to go? Uh, I'm told he will be. Yeah, so that would give you four lefties right there. That's good. Just load them up, baby. <laughs> One after the other. The scooter thing in the newsroom has gone to an all new level. Was it? There's a, somebody riding a scooter in the newsroom. Actually, I think I think um, somebody was on a knee. Oh, is that what that was? No, I like the idea of people just flying through the newsroom, you know, wiping people out, knocking people over. That would have been great if it was on the Cowboy Pod video cast when that happened. (laughs) When that went past, yeah, that would have been good. We need to start Hey, Brian, can we get that? Hey, Brian, let's talk about our big numbers, matter of fact, that we're getting on our Cowboys podcast. What would you like to know? Uh, We'll just tell tell our- Tell people how many many people watched. We had like a million. Was that what it was? A million five? (laughs) Not quite a million five. Not quite close. a million five, yeah. Brian, are we interrupting breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> My vitamin regimen. Vitamin regimen. I like vitamin it. Vitamin regimen. Wow. I usually do that before I leave home. Oh, do me one of them. I, I do when you're some, older, you have to start earlier. You know, you got to take more. I do some, <laughs> trust me, I, I fill up a shoebox with pills every morning. Oh. Um, oh, look, Corbett Smith is walking by. Is that supposed to be exciting? I'm always happy to see Corbett. Corbett's one of the most underrated funny guys on Twitter. Oh, you know, I'm sick of Corbett Smith. You know, he I is, hope he's listening he's to this, the, uh, too. He, he should do a bit as the underrated bitter cowboy fan. Yeah. He, he's, he's pretty good on Yeah, this, he so. does do that. Um, well, you know that Corbett's the uh, is the son of a high school football coach. Um, yes, Coach Smith. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Corbett, they pirated, they pirated him uh, from us. Former sports writer. How about that? Took him away. Uh, he's now on. He's now covering City Hall for us. Yes, he is. He so. was covering education for a while. Did a fine job on that. Oh, he educated me right up. He did. Somebody needs to. Well, we need to get to David Moore and talk Cowboys and let David know that both you and I will be with him in Atlanta this Sunday for the big Cowboy Falcons game. Have you gotten a room yet? Uh, yeah, but I'm staying way away from you people. What is that supposed to mean? I'm staying out in your friends. I have friends in Atlanta. Wow, because I don't have a room yet, and I was going to, you know, I needed to find out where everybody was staying. Uh, you can stay out where I'm staying, but it's not downtown. Well, here's the, here's the thing about Why the, are we doing this on the air? Because it's good stuff. Because <laughs> here's the thing that I find is, is the problem with our beat guys, wherever they go, especially on the Cowboys, is that they stay at the airport. They could be going to Paris. And they would say, "I'm staying at the airport." No, I'm I'm staying uh, on well on the north side of town, but I'll I'll be happy to give you hotel stuff, and you can stay with us on on uh, on Saturday, and uh, you can go out to dinner with me and my best friend. Oh wow! How about that? How about that? I thought I was your best friend. 
in the studio at the moment. <laughs> if I can interrupt the life of uh, Evan and Kevin here. Back to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. We've had numbers of the 10,000 viewers. 10,000 viewers. That is like, that's like half the population of Dallas. It is. It really is. Because of, of real people, there a lot of that's just a, a simulcast. Fake, thing. Fake, fake, people. fake people. Fake people. Yeah. The life of Kevin and Evan podcast is still under product. You know, we're still trying to work that out. Well, yeah. as you can tell. <laughs> Sponsored by I, hotels.com. I think that Brian was trying to tell us that he was not liking it. You want to turn your phone off, Evan? I'm sorry. It was one of my sources. <laughs> yeah. It was. Okay. All right, so that does it for our Rangers podcast. Uh, joining us next will be uh, David Moore from calling in from somewhere. Who knows? God knows where he is. Uh, and uh, he'll be talking to us about the Cowboys who are all over the map. And then we're also going to have uh, a little uh, Colleges podcast. Right, and we'll, we'll preview Kevin and Evan in Atlanta. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be great stuff. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks and come on back. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.